Welcome to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in. We pray that the following message will help you connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and others. If you have your Bibles with you, open them with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, we'll read verses 15 through 17. John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. Uh, Let me just... uh, uh, issue a word of thanks to Eric Patterson and to Dr. Kenny Thompson. Eric is, of course, our students minister, and uh, Dr. Thompson is the president and CEO of the Georgia Baptist Children's Home. Thank them for filling in for me the past two weeks. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, while Amanda and I were away on a little vacation, I streamlined the, uh, watch the uh, two services on our live stream, and uh, what a great job those two guys did. I appreciate uh, those of you who've come up to us and uh, mentioned how much you missed us on vacation, ask us how the vacation was, although I will tell you that the questioning was somewhat different from what I've been accustomed to. Um, uh, there were about 14 people in the first service, and so far 23 people in this service who've come up, and instead of saying, how was vacation, and we missed you, instead they said, did you enjoy your vacation as well as we did? You know, so, uh, you know, well, not really, I'm not really. Um, so John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. If you love me, keep my commands. All, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And then one other verse, the book of Acts, chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. By the time you get to verse 8, Jesus has come He's lived, he's been crucified, he's been resurrected, he's spent uh, over 40 days with the disciples, and now he's about to ascend back to the Father, but right before he does, he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of of the earth. Well, it's March. March is the windiest month in our calendar year. You already knew that. Uh, you, you may not know that the average wind speed in March is 10.9 miles per hour. Second is April, where it's 10.7 miles per hour. But March is the windiest month. That's the reason when we have the PBC kids doing kite flying, we do it in March, because that's when the winds are up. So when I think of the month of March, I think of wind. When I think of winds or being windy, I think of uh, the spirit. The reason for that is when you look at the New Testament, the New Testament, as you know, was written in the Greek language. The Greek word for wind is pneuma. P-N-E-U-M-A, pneuma. That is also the Greek word for breathe, and it is the Greek word for spirit. And so everywhere in the New Testament that the writers talked about the Holy Spirit, it is holy pneuma. And so when I think of wind, which is Greek word pneuma, and I think of spirit, 
also Greek word pneuma, then I think about the Holy Spirit. All that to say, when I think of March, I think of the Holy Spirit. And so for the three Sundays that we have left in this month, uh, Lord willing, I'm going to be sharing with you a series entitled Numa, the Holy Spirit. Because I think the Holy Spirit, uh, with regard to the Holy Spirit, we run the risk of either overemphasizing Him, not so much in Baptist churches, or we underemphasize Him, so much the case in Baptist churches, that I think it behooves us to examine Him. All right? So let's, let's dig into the Scriptures and, and just ask the question, what does the Bible teach us about the Holy Spirit? What is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? What difference should it make that there is a Holy Spirit? And what difference should it make as to what we believe about the Holy Spirit? All those are legitimate questions for us as we open the Scriptures and look at what the Holy Spirit is. So let's start with this. First off, I want you to understand that the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. The kids got it so right. The Holy Spirit is God. The Scriptures teach us that the Holy Spirit is God. One of the most convincing statements in the Bible about the Holy Spirit being God is found in Acts chapter 5. In Acts chapter 5, the New Testament church is very young, very early in the history of the church, and uh, it's growing by leaps and bounds. Started out in Acts chapter 1 and the first part of Acts chapter 2 with 120 people in a closed room. And by the time you get to the end of chapter 2, there are over 5,000 people in the church because there's a great revival that breaks out on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. But the church is young. It's still trying to find itself, to, to, to secure its footing. And by the time you get to Acts chapter 5, you've had some things to happen. One is that this guy whose name is Joseph, Joseph, who was nicknamed Barnabas, Barnabas is Aramaic for the encourager. He, he encouraged so many people that he earned that nickname, the encourager. Barnabas brought his possessions and gave them to the church for the furtherance of the good news about Jesus Christ. And people uh, complimented Barnabas. He didn't do it for the compliments. He didn't do it for the praise, but they appreciated him. The writer of the book of Acts, Luke, even applauds uh, Barnabas for what he did. And there was another couple in the church. Uh, their, their names were Ananias and Sapphira. You've probably read about Ananias and Sapphira. They were in the church too. They saw the praise that was heaped upon Barnabas. Again, not praise that he sought, but they saw the praise that was heaped upon Barnabas. And so somewhere along the way, although the scripture is silent about it, there is a conversation between Ananias and his uh, wife Sapphira. And it goes something like this, we think. Ananias says, you know, honey, we own a good bit of property. And I tell you what let's do. We really don't need the property. So let's sell the property. Let's sell the real estate we own. And let's take a part of the proceeds and let's give it to the church. Kind of like Barnabas did. And Sapphira must have said, well, that's a great idea. I think we should do that. And so he says, but one other thing. Let's give a part of the proceeds, but let's make out like we give it all. Because that would really 
That would really draw the attention of the church. And Sapphira must have said, well, okay, that's a good idea. And so they sold the real estate they had, and they took the money, the proceeds from that sale of real estate, and they brought out part of it and gave it to the church. Now, that is fine. That was their prerogative. That was not a problem at all. But the problem came when they made out like, they must have made out like, they had given all of the proceeds, and that was a lie. And so in Acts chapter 5, we see, beginning with verse 1, now there was a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property, and with the wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Verse 3, then Peter said, now watch this, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit, very important there, and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Verse 4, didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? And then what's this? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. And so right there in those verses, Luke ties, or Peter ties, Luke describes the incident, Simon Peter ties lying to the Holy Spirit as tantamount to lying to God, making the Holy Spirit and God one and the same. The Holy Spirit is God. In other places in Scripture, we find out that the Holy Spirit is God by virtue of the fact that some of the attributes or characteristics of God also apply to the Holy Spirit. One of those places is in Psalm 139, verses 7 and 8. In Psalm 139, the psalmist is talking about the omnipresence of God. Omnipresence meaning the everywhere presence of God. You can't go somewhere that God is not there. No matter where it is, you will find that God is there. That's his omnipresence, his everywhere presence. Now watch this in uh, Psalm 139, beginning of verse 7. The psalmist here is praying. He's talking with God, and he says this, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? The presence of God and the presence of the Spirit are one and the same. The Spirit is God. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, behold, you are there. The Holy Spirit is God. You see, the Holy Spirit is part of what we call the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity is, is that belief that we cannot really explain. It's inexplicable in human terms, but it works like this. We worship and serve and, and, and follow one and only one God, but this one God reveals himself to us through three different and distinct persons. And those persons are God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son, Jesus Christ. And each of those three persons, and we, it's not three gods, although we've been accused of that by some other religions, we only serve one God, but God reveals himself in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And each of these three persons are equal and yet distinct. And yet when we, when we read about, when we research, when we study about, when we think about either one of those three, they are fully God. When I was in seminary, I had a... Uh, theology professor, his name was Dr. J. Terry Young. He, he, had, he had 
uh, more depth in one minute of thinking than I have had in my whole life. And so you can imagine just sitting under uh, his lectures. They were incredible. And he said about the Holy Spirit, he said, the, Holy, the, the Trinity, including the Holy Spirit, is kind of like a prism. Now, if you know anything about a prism, it's a piece of uh, glass that's three-sided, three-sided piece of glass, a prism. And uh, you have one prism, but each side of that prism is different from the other sides. You have three distinct and different sides. So if I'm looking at one side of the prism, uh, I can, because it's clear, I can look through that side of the prism and see the other two sides of the prism, and yet each side is distinct. That's kind of like the way it is with the Trinity. If we're looking at Jesus, Jesus as a person, is not God the Father or God the Spirit, and yet when I look at Jesus, I see all of God. Same thing applies when I look at the Holy Spirit. Again, it's a very difficult thing to try to explain because you can't explain it, but the point here is the Holy Spirit is God, and he's fully God. The second thing that I think is important for us to realize is not only is the Holy Spirit God, but the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. And the interesting thing about the Holy Spirit as a person is few of us really know this, this God. We, we, we don't know. I mean, we're pretty well familiar with God the Father. Most of the time we pray to God our Heavenly Father. We pray through the name, by the name of Jesus. We're very familiar with Jesus. Most of us uh, are not that familiar with the Holy Spirit. Part of that is due to the fact that in the early part of the 1900s, the Pentecostal movement uh, was born right around 1906, 1907, and that movement uh spread across the country like wildfire. In fact, it's still spreading uh, in other parts of the world. The fastest growing uh, segment of Christianity in Africa and Latin America is Pentecostalism, which really emphasizes, and I would argue overemphasizes, the Holy Spirit. And so Baptists, over the past century, in trying to uh, react to that overemphasis of the Holy Spirit by Pentecostals, we have gone to the other extreme of rarely talking about it at all. And that's a real, uh, uh, that's a real tragedy because the Holy Spirit is God and the Holy Spirit is a person who wants a relationship with you. How do we know that the Holy Spirit is a person? Well, in the scriptures, we're told that the Holy Spirit has certain uh, feelings and experiences and, and, and gives off actions that a person, a person like you or me, would also give off. For instance, the Holy Spirit can be grieved. Now, we know that Jesus can be grieved. You remember in the Gospel of John when Jesus comes up on the, uh, the cemetery where Lazarus, his friend, has been buried. Lazarus has been dead four days. Jesus missed the funeral. Already Lazarus has been put in the tomb by the time Jesus comes up. And by the time he comes up, he looks around and there are people still mourning there at the cemetery and they're crying. And the Bible says that he looked around at all of them and then these words, Jesus wept. We know Jesus weeps. We even know that God the Father weeps. That incredible chapter in Genesis chapter 6 where God looks at his creation, especially human beings, and they, they we have become so evil that, that the scripture incredibly says, and it repented the Lord that he'd made man on the earth. That is, he was sorry. He regretted. He grieved over the fact that he'd made us. 
It's an incredible place. But the Holy Spirit, because he's God and because he's a person, also grieves. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, the apostle Paul says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So the Holy Spirit is a person, and like a person, and as a person, he grieves. But he also, is, is like a person, can give gifts to those that he cares about. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 7, Paul again says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit, that is Holy Spirit, who distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord, again, the Lord who distributes them, equating the Spirit and the Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, he says, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So the Holy Spirit distributes gifts to us. And I would argue that every person who is a Christian is gifted by the Holy Spirit with at least one gift. And quite honestly, I've never met a Christian who doesn't have at least two but I don't know exactly if there's an official number for different people. Uh, I've, I've seen people who have multiple gifts. I've, ha- I've seen people who have at least two. The point here is that, that as a person, the Holy Spirit can be grieved and the Holy Spirit can give and does give gifts. The Holy Spirit also is a thinker. He can use his mind to search out and think about the deep things of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul says, Now these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit, he goes on to say, searches all things, even the deep things of God. So like a person can think about things, meditate about things, study on things, so can the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, like a person, can fellowship with other people. I've already said that he wants a relationship with you. Paul again in 2 Corinthians 13 verse 14 says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So the Holy Spirit is a a person. He is God. But third, the Scriptures teach us that the Holy Spirit has been busy. He has been and still is active in our world. I would submit to you that there has never been a busier person anywhere, anytime than the Holy Spirit. He is constantly at work. And that is evidenced by uh, what he's done throughout history, all, going all the way back to the beginning of our universe. The book of Genesis tells us that the Spirit of God was present at and involved in the creation of the universe. Genesis 1, 1 and 2 tell us, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Spirit of God was hovering over creation. Genesis chapter 2, when God decided to create man, he created Adam. And the Bible says that after he created him, Adam still wasn't alive yet. But the Bible says that God breathed into Adam the breath of life, and he became a living soul. The word breath there 
Of course, the Old Testament was written not in Greek, but in Hebrew. In Hebrew, instead of pneuma, like it is in Greek, in Hebrew, it's the word ruach. It's a hard word to say because you almost choke on yourself when you say it, ruach. Ruach can also, like pneuma, be translated wind, breath, or spirit. And so when God created Adam and breathed into him, that breath of God that brought life to Adam was the very Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit was very active in the creation of the universe, active in the creation of humanity. The Old Testament was, tells us also that the Holy Spirit was, was active in anointing and enabling and empowering Old Testament heroes. In Judges chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, Says, tells us the Spirit of the Lord came on him, that would be Othniel, one of the judges in the book of Judges, so that he became Israel's judge and went to war. And the Lord gave Cushan Rishathaim, the king of Aram, into the hands of Othniel who overpowered him. So the land had peace for 40 years until Othniel died. In Judges chapter 6, verse 34, then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abyssalites to follow him, and he was uh, victorious in battle. Judges chapter 11, verse 29, then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he crossed Gilead and Manasseh and passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and there, from there he advanced against the Ammonites. There are three times in Judges chapter 14 that the the Scriptures tell us that the Holy Spirit came upon the strong man, uh, Samson. In fact, the only great thing Samson ever did came only as he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, he didn't do anything worth remembering. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 6, Samuel is, is prophesying about King Saul, the first king of Israel. And he says this, the spirit of the Lord will come powerfully on you, King Saul, and you will prophesy with the prophets, with them, and you will be changed into a different person. You see, that's what the Holy Spirit does. When he comes upon you and we allow him to remain consistently filling us, he turns us into different people. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, Isaiah says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from from darkness for the prisoners. The Holy Spirit is active. He's always been active. And the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, moved upon the prophets to give us the words of God. In 2 Peter in the, in the New Testament, chapter 1, verse 21, Peter says this, For prophecy, that is the Old Testament, never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God, how? As they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, who is God, who is a person, has been active from the very beginning, and he is still active now. And then fourth and finally... And this is where we bring it home. The Holy Spirit desires to be active in your life. Without the Holy Spirit, we can't be saved. Jesus said to uh, Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he said, "I, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit, when we're saved, comes into our lives and dwells within us. Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians six nineteen, he says, Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit's address is your heart. The Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God, you are not your own. The Holy Spirit, once he's in our lives, he, he wants to guide us to the truth. He's always for us. In John chapter 16, verse 13, the Holy Spirit says, uh, Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and will tell you what is yet to come. The apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter five, verses 18 through 20 tells us to be filled continuously. It's a continuous action verb. Continuously be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 18 of Ephesians five. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be continuously filled with the Spirit. Indeed, the only way that we can consistently be the people God wants us to be is if we are being continuously filled with the Spirit. And that means we are submitting to Him. We are yielding to Him. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is a person. He has always been active. He's still active, and He wants to be active in your life. You say, well, Jimmy, I'm a, I'm a Christian. Great. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in you. Because the Holy Spirit comes into your life the moment you receive Christ as your Savior. But here's the kicker. Just because he lives in you does not mean that he controls you. Someone said that living the Christian life is kind of like having two, two dogs within your heart fighting with each other. And somebody said, well, well, which one of the dogs wins? And the answer was the dog you feed. The Holy Spirit is in your life, but Satan also, his, his fleshly spirit, his, his uh, uh, evil spirit is also still in every one of us. And there's this constant battle. And the spirit we feed is the one that will dominate our lives. That's how a Christian can do some terrible things because we feed the wrong spirit. But if we do great things, it's because we feed the Holy Spirit. He wants to be active in your life. Back in 1999, there was a doctor, a medical doctor. His name was Duncan Cameron. And a family that came to see him, for whom he was their general practitioner, they brought their little five-year-old girl to Dr. Cameron because something crazy was happening with her. Her skin was turning orange. And at first, they thought that she had been playing with markers or something like this. This was 1999, not that long ago. And uh, so they, they tried to wash the orange off her, and it would not wash off. It would not wash off. So they, they were very concerned about it. The, the orange was, was starting to show up in an orange tints all over her body. She, so they take her to the doctor. They do an examination. They find out in her blood test that her uh, beta carotene level was sky high. And so the doctor began asking her, what, 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 what kind of things does she eat? Is she on any medications? What kind of things does she, does she drink? And uh, they found out this little girl's favorite beverage was Sunny Delight. You ever had Sunny Delight? Anybody ever seen it? It is bright orange. 
bright orange. And this little girl, the doctor said, okay, Sunny Delight's her favorite. How much Sunny Delight does she drink? And they said, well, she drinks about a quart and a half of it a day. And he says, how long has she been drinking a quart and a half a day? And they said, we, we don't know. She loves it, so we, we think it's pretty harmless. We give it to her. Maybe six months she's been drinking an average about a quart and a half a day. Six months? And she had drunk so much of it that it literally was changing the tint of her skin. So the doctor said, well, my, my real suggestion to you is that you stop letting her drink Sunny Delight. Or at least not as much of it. Now, so that's an example of something she consumed showed up in, to others by looking at her in, this, in the tint of her skin. Now, that's a negative example. But on a positive side, the same thing happens when we are full of the Holy Spirit. We consume the Holy Spirit. That is, we receive the Holy Spirit when we receive Jesus. And the more we feed the Holy Spirit, the more he filling us up shows up in our lives. And that's a positive thing. The biggest problem in our world, it's not crooked politicians or violent terrorists, or, although those are problems. Here's the biggest problem in our world. I want you to hear this. If you don't hear anything else, I want you to hear this. The biggest problem in our world is people who are Christians, they have Jesus and the Holy Spirit living within them. But there's no spiritual tent to the color of their skin. They have Jesus in us, but we don't have enough of the Spirit continuously filling us that people can tell that we're, G we're Jesus people. That is the biggest problem in our world. When we are filled with the Spirit, we act like Jesus. When we act like Jesus, people are drawn to us because nobody is repulsed by the love of Jesus. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your salvation in Jesus Christ. That Jesus came and died on the cross for us, rose again from the dead, and, and desires to come into each of our lives. And so, Lord, if there's anyone here who's not saved, who hasn't received you as their Savior, I, I, it's my prayer that they would come and receive you today. But, Lord, I know that there are more people in this room who are Christians than who are not Christians. That's my assumption. So there, there are a lot of people in this room who have the Holy Spirit living within them, within us. Lord, I pray that we would be committed to yielding to you to the point that your spirit constantly fills us and fills us to the point that when people look at us, they say, man, there's something different about that person. They may not know what it is, but you will know. Lord, I pray that our, our church family would be made up of people who are filled constantly with the Holy Spirit so that we'll look like Jesus. That's my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.